you know, I, I just want to say how privileged we are to have Dr. Dr. Smith with us today. Um, you know, <clears throat> for over 20 years, hundreds of thousands of people, both national and international audiences of all sizes, have experienced the passion that Dr. Dr. Smith brings, his creativity, his storytelling, his unshakable positivity and mind-shifting power. I mean, it, it's amazing. Um, he's like a lightning rod in the professional and personal development spaces and, you know, creating performance breakthroughs for just, you know, organizations, teams, you know, individuals looking to prove their areas of like authenticity, diversity, inclusion, uh, personal power, leadership is another one. Um, and even, you know, in, even to, uh, to improve, you know, presentation and facilitation skills. Um, I know he's got, I think it's about 14 years in corporate America. Um, I know he's worked on some, you know, several training and development programs with, uh, uh, the, with diversity and inclusion consulting firms. Um, you know, I know he formed, um, uh, Dr. Smith Jr. International Help Others Remove that self-created in uh, organizational barriers. And his big saying is he loves to jump into bigness. Um, <laughs> He's also the driving force be behind our event today uh, from Ally to Advocate, um, the pursuit of inclusion. So welcome. We appreciate you being here with us, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Thank you. Honor, privilege. And I, I want to just a quick edit. You said cost reduction. There's some cost reduction with this as well, because the cost reduction of exclusion, the cost reduction of inequities. I mean, if organizations and individuals focus on the dollars and cents of inclusion, there'll be some cost reductions with recruiting, with retention. So your show is the same. We're just a little twist. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Absolutely. How did you get involved with, with, with the whole notion of, of, of um, you know, for your part of corporate life and, and where we're at now? Um, you know, you had mentioned when we were first talking, um, you know, some things changing last year and causing you to kind of shift from, from, from what you thought as an ally to an advocate. Why don't we just dive right in there? Um, kind of bring us, bring us up on, on how you, your journey up to this point. Well, Dan, it, it's a shift that I thought I had already made. Back in the uh, late 80s, I was heading our organization's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Council. I was responsible for a lot of the training. Uh, Roosevelt Thomas in his book, Beyond Race and Gender, was trending. Jane Elliott in the Brown Eye, Blue Eyes exercise was trending. And I was one of our corporate trainers. And I thought I had made the shift. But based on the turn of events of last year, I realized I was just being an ally. Now, let me tell you a little bit about last year. We all were in the pandemic purgatory. We all were, for the most part, at home. And while I was home, it gave me an opportunity to be still. Because prior to that, I was on the road 65, 70% of the time. So in being still, I could think more. I could take things in, I could marinate more on what's happening. And that's what happened during the George Floyd murder. I believe it was May 25th when a police officer in Minneapolis decided to kneel on Mr. Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And because I was being still, I shifted from my PC to the television and I watched the coverage over and over and over 
and over again. And I saw me under that name. I also started thinking, you know, over the years I've been asking educators, politicians, entertainers, athletes, do something, do something. But guess who wasn't doing as much as he could? Epiphany, <laughs> me, me, step up. You give a voice, you've been given this gift, you have a voice, it's booming. You have a network, you're educated, do something. You've done all this research on authenticity, do something. You're colluding. You're going along to get along. Oh, you don't want to lose any white clients and you don't want to lose any white friends. So you're not sharing your truth. You're not being authentic. And you know, Dan, Ben, I got, I started shaking. <laughs> like, I, I tell, tell people make the rest of your life the best of your life. And here I have an opportunity I gotta, I gotta crank this thing up and uh, don't do it as the person who you are, Dr. Jim Smith Jr. If you're gonna be as fully authentic as you can, come clean, be real, keep it a hundred. Go back to your birth name, James. Is that when you first, is that when you shifted from James? Uh, Jim? That's, that's when I shifted. And James? Prior to 18, <laughs> Mm -hmm. If you were to talk to me, you'd probably call me Smitty, James, or Jimmy. It wasn't until I went to college and my university I attended at the time was 99% white. My nickname became Jim, 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 not James. I just kept Jim. So the epiphany last year about needing to do more, to move from ally to advocate, ally to advocate, to do it as the man you were raised to be. I feel lighter. I feel more of who I am. I'm not sitting on my stuff. If I have something to say, I will say it. I won't be PC. PC is poor communication. But I'm going to be an advocate for inclusion, for equity, for respect, for diversity. Let's, let's hit the pause button right there. Um, yeah. that, that's a great point. But if I'm talking to Vinny, if I'm talking to you, Rodney, anybody, and the word ally comes up, the first thing I think of, yeah, we're allies, we have each other's back, excellent. And when we first had the conversation, you and I, between allies and advocate, you know, it, it, it got me thinking too. Can you dig a little deeper? And explain let's, 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 stay, let's stay with that. Stay with okay. that. When you said ally, you yeah. have my back. I. I hear that, mm -hmm. but what does that look like having my back? I'm reminded of when I did diversity in organizations and a senior leader would come to start the program. And he, for the most part, he, but there were a few she's, would kick off the program, wish everyone well and say, you have my support. I'm gonna get back to some other things I have to do. Mm -hmm. What does support look like? Yeah. If I have your support, is that financial? Is that mental? Is that social? Is that heavy lifting? We didn't define support. So when you think of ally, you think of support, but you don't know what that looks like. You think I can count on them, 
but they haven't signed up. You think of someone that's there for you, but when you think advocate, you see fire, relentless. You see mission. We see, I'll speak up for you. I'm mission driven. I'm relentless. Your cause has now become my cause. You don't feel that with ally. With ally, you feel, I'm here for you, brother. Mm -hmm. With advocate, you feel, I'm in front for you, brother. Let's do this. How do you and make I'm, that, for, how do you, I'm not forming a team. If I have how do you to make go that alone, change, though, like a lot of people, and even people that are going to watch this broadcast, are going to say, "All right, well, you know, I have black friends, I have an Asian friends, I, I have what have you," and they almost quantify their actions and say, "I've done nothing wrong. Um, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I've got to handle my own." How do they get skin in the game as far as being an advocate, stepping up front, helping out? And you know, I, I want this to be completely unfiltered. It has to be. You know, how does somebody, uh, you know, a lot of people are a lot of words, you know, and, and one of the one of the contexts that's come out of the conversation is white savior or, you know, you know, or the whole cancel culture. And it goes back and forth and there's no progress made. Why? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the, the first question around what we can do. Call it out. Education is one thing, but call it out. Become anti. Fight to end it. And, and, and know that the it isn't a few bad cops or a few bad apples. The it is the entire tree. It's the system that needs to change or need to be impacted. And I think the mindset of a lot of people is, well, we have a few bad here, bad here, give them some education, give them some training. This is a skill and will because you know how to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it. Yeah. I hear a lot of my friends, my white friends, say, I don't know what to do. Fight to stop it. You, the optics are there. You see it just like I do. You know that men and women can do the same job and men make more money. You know that you know that there are inequities, you know there are biases. And yes, you may be a good person, but a good person doing nothing is similar to a bad person doing bad things. So fight it, call it out, say that's wrong. You saw the optics, what happened not too long ago with the lieutenant in the gasoline station and, yeah. and the spray yeah. and Ride you saw that was wrong you, yep. you probably said darn that's a shame but what did you do after that you probably perhaps got getting numb to it because it happens all the time it, really, it truly does so it's, it's, it's calling it out and it's working to close that thing down calling out the institutional institutionalized systems that reinforce dominant and subordinate behavior that reinforce inequities that reinforce exclusion that reinforce out groups and in groups why don't we just have our group so as a former ally i can tell you it was watching doing small things one-on-one -on -one, but not using my voice my platform, 
my network to talk about what I believe is an easy fix that's turned into a 400 year problem. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. What can. about, so do you think, um, what happened to um, George Floyd? Do you think that it was a, it was a brewing powder keg? Why did it take a man being murdered on camera when we've heard so much in the past, uh, I believe the gentleman's name is Sean Bell. He was shot a couple a while back, and you've got a litany of names afterwards. Why George Floyd? Why was he the the spark that that set this off? I'm sharing my opinion, not the opinion. Yep, that's all this is. This is just a chat between friends. Yep. And that pandemic, we weren't out happy hour. We weren't out golfing. We weren't out working overtime in the office, we were at home and the TV was on while we were working. We were still, we were still. Almost were forced to pay attention. We weren't rushing to get out to meet the guys, to meet the gals, to go to our favorite place where everyone knows our name, Norm. <laughs> we were still. And even now, since we're getting back to the office, for many of us, I haven't watched TV forever because the head is down on the grind, calling, zooming, mm -hmm. yeah. business as usual. And then you miss everything that's happened up to this point. And I find out what happens when I get home or when I finish my 20,000 Zooms, I find out what happened at yeah. 7, 8, 9, or maybe even 10 o'clock on one of the Alphabet Suit news shows. Yep. And it hasn't... In almost the year that's passed, I mean, just recently, a police officer thinks she has a taser in her hand. And she shoots a young man. How do you? How does that happen in the chest? And I, and I understand. And we've talked about this. His reaction and his fear. It was almost a, a fight or flight. It gets to the point where they try to they flee, and, and that fear is so ingrained. And I and we spoke before. I, I have no clue what that could possibly feel like. Yeah. Um, you know, but and you see it. And it becomes the same story again and again and again. And again and again and again reruns. But Dan, going back to your question, you said, how does that happen? And I'm not even thinking about the taser and the gun, which one to use. The question is, why do you want to use anything? Yeah. See, when it comes to Black men, from my perspective, the mindset of the officer is to take down, to subdue, to stun, to stop. Where with other groups is to question, to find out, to uncover, to discern, not to take down and subdue. And if you have that mindset, you're reaching for something. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's tear gas, taser, gun, you're reaching. Why not reaching for a question? What would make this young man run back in the car? Because he knows. What would make the lieutenant say, please, I want to stay in the car. I'm afraid. And he even said, I'm afraid to get out. And the officer said, you should be. What? Yeah, that's amazing. Why should I be afraid to get out? Because I don't think this story is going to end well, based on what I've seen over and over and over again. Yeah, that, that, that definitely. And if you look to, do you think social media and the speed at which news is distributed up at this point plays a key role or a factor going forward 
in helping that that conversion from ally to advocate. And you go pre-04, where there's no social media, right? Even, even in the 80s, you didn't see a lot of this. Yeah. I remember early 90s, Rodney King, right? That that didn't keep the news cycle, you know, for nearly, like like now it happens, and it happens again and again and again, and we're exposed to everything. It wasn't like that back then. And we know it was happening, no doubt about it. So think, how- think, think about the Rodney King situation mm-hmm. again. Big black man, we have to subdue him. We have to take him down. Yep. He's on drugs. Look out. We need 20,000 officers to take down this giant behemoth of a man. That was the mindset. And yes, social media does play a role. However, here's who plays a role too. We do. The people who have their cameras and video recording. Listening to the Chauvin trial, many of the witnesses said they haven't been the same since because they did nothing but video record. They didn't want to take the risk to become an advocate to help. I think they were afraid that if they did, they would be next. Yeah. So we were, we colluded. We aided and abetted a situation that we knew were wrong, was wrong. And we recorded it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spielberg wanted us next. We're recording it. Camera angle. There's almost, there's almost an obsession with that nowadays. You know, people want to be, you know, they're in a role of recording an event, not in the middle of the event. No one has risk appetite to move forward and put their own necks on a line, but they sure as hell enjoy recording somebody else. And, and which means we've bought in because you have other black officers applying the same tactics bought in it's happening then dan in order for us to solve this problem Mm -hmm. we must first understand what is the problem Mm -hmm. i was teaching a class this week and i always look for current events to bring to the class I teach for a university, Wednesday nights, 538. The course is leading people at work. And I said, since we're talking leadership here, I put, using Zoom, virtual class, I put the students in their breakout groups. Answer one question. How do we stop this? How do we stop the inequities? How do we stop the number of Black men being killed? believe research suggests that 40% of the black men killed last year, year before, were unarmed. How do we stop that? Gave gave them 20 minutes. They came back. Education, training. And that's when I use my, when performance is the problem, training is not always the answer. It could be something bigger than training, bigger than education. And that's one of the challenges I believe exists. In order for us to become that advocate, in order for us to stop the inequity problem, we have to understand what's causing it. Mm. Because it's been around for a while and is not as difficult as statistics or <laughs> micro, you know, biology. Yeah, that's a great point. We have... Um... A great question that had come through. Now you do a lot of um, lecturing and speaking to organizations, businesses, uh, professional sports teams. 
Um, as, a CI, as a CEO, um, this, this individual um, hears you about stopping and using the networks, uh, being present and taking actions. What are some practical steps you see CEOs taking within, uh, with organizations to be an advocate or more pointedly follow the money and promotions? Uh, what incentives have you seen work to nudge everyone um, along to promote diversity and inclusion? Not just talking about it um, and asking people, but what actual steps um, have you seen or at least helped implement um, with CEOs and, and staff with, within organizations? Sure, sure. I, I think it's a phenomenal question. And it's a question that organizations should be asking themselves. So the organizations that I have worked for and worked with that have done a great job Number one, they got their executive team together, met and formed or built the business case for creating an equitable, inclusive environment. They built the business case. They then began to create measurements for accountability by writing accountability measures into performance appraisals. In your performance appraisal, your behavior gets measured. Your numbers get measured. Your developmental practices get measured. Where's diversity, equity, inclusion? Now, if that becomes a measurement and one's paycheck is impacted by their lack of performance the same way it's impacted with other criteria, other competencies, other measures, then we may see something. In addition, they make sure that the human resources role is a resource role. They're not driving the initiatives because HR comes to HR police. Oh boy, the diversity police. Mm -hmm. They make sure that people in the line, in the field, those leaders for those different departments, they own it, marketing owns it, legal owns it, sales owns it, production owns it. HR is a resource. And even if they hire a chief diversity officer, a diversity director, that person reports directly into the CEO and they assist HR as a resource. But here's the thing, if the senior leaders in the line build it. <laughs> well, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, you will police it because you helped create it. But can that work without them becoming an advocate? Oh, once they build the business case, Dan, then, then they learn how to become an advocate. That's where the training and the reinforcement comes in. That's when we, we build the competency model where we develop the competencies for being an advocate. And then we provide an example of what meets the mark, what masters the mark, and what misses the mark. So here's what an advocate can do to miss the mark. Lip service. To meet the mark, show up at meetings and trainings. Masters the mark. Lead meetings, lead trainings, do research on what our organization can do to become more educated, put our money where our mouth is. We, 
as an organization, we put our money into our market research because we want to get better. And we send people to different trainings to learn technology, to learn how to pivot during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Where's the money going relative to DE&I? And it's more than just bringing in the trainer to say, check off. See, an ally, excuse me, an advocate, it becomes a way of life. How does the advocate use power to get more power or to empower? How does the advocate use their wisdom and knowledge? Because they're different. Where knowledge is one plus one equals two, wisdom is when do I say two? When do I fire? Advocates, again, mission-driven, and they take your mission and they supersede that. They put it on high definition. Sometimes they stand alone. That's why the number of advocates aren't there. It's a risk to be an advocate. You might lose your job for taking a knee. You might lose your job for questioning free agency and now you can't play baseball anymore. You may have to sit out of boxing for three years because you took a stand. Muhammad Ali, being an advocate is a risk. And if you think about over the years, the number of people who were advocates for civil rights, for equal rights, they took some lumps, mm -hmm. some beatings, some bullets. They didn't care because they were advocating for justice. Dan Venn, I know you're married, you have children. We advocate for our family. Absolutely. Yep. We speak for our children when they can't speak for themselves. We go when to talk to that principal, talk to that teacher. Let's get down to the bottom of this. What's happening here? In mama bears. Yeah, that's the way we have to be around diversity, equity, inclusion, and standing up for the underrepresented. That same fire. And in our country, it seems like when something comes in my lane, mm -hmm. whether my lane is Jewish, Black, gay, lesbian, trans, whatever the lane it is, the people in that lane advocate the most. Suppose we were advocating for everybody's lane at the same time, where we're going to shut this down because it's not right. Being a normal, decent human being. Yes! It's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, you know? It's crazy. Well, all right, here, here's something I really wanted to speak to you about. Yeah. Affirmative action. Rooney Rule. Both of those, both of those constructs were geared to right the wrong, geared to level the playing field, geared to create some action but they weren't geared to change mindsets. That's right. They weren't geared to change the problem. It's the difference between straightening your room, straightening up your room and cleaning up your room. The Rooney Rule, affirmative action. They were designed to get me a job, to get me a coaching job, but the problem still exists. 
and smart people quickly figure out how to get around that. Okay, the Rooney Rule. I have to hire, I have to interview a number of black people of color before I make my choice. Okay, I will. Next one. <laughs> Next one. We got two more. Come on. We got we got five. We got we got five. All right, time to, make the hire. In. time to make the hire. Yeah. Well, what well, I did I did what the rule says. Yeah. It says to interview. That's what I did. And how do you get around something like that though? The, 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 you know, and because what happens is even with affirmative action, I go in, I sit, and if I'm competing with a, a young black man for the position, you know, as a, as a white man, I say, oh, but affirmative action, he got it. And then, then you start fighting again. It's all of a sudden, you don't know what I've been through. I'm trying to feed a family. I mean, how do we hit that pause button and, and, and sit down and say, listen, enough is enough. Like, this is, this is where we got to go. Again, that, that's, that's, Dan, that is changing the mindset is attacking the problem. During that senior leader business case development, we're gonna say, listen, in order for our organization to continue to grow, to grow in a huge way and not just to the next level, that's where everyone wants to go to the next level. We wanna go beyond the next level. What are the four pillars that are gonna be significant for us going forward? And these four pillars, these four values, these four goals, are going to be talked about every single day. Number one, team building, teamwork. Number two, communications. Number three, service, internal and external. And number four, diversity, equity, inclusion. Those four are significant. Now, here's what I want you to do, senior leaders. I want you to meet with your team members and tell them where we're going and tell them the four areas that we're gonna be focusing on, the four areas they're gonna be measured or from a performance appraisal standpoint. And I'm going to ask them as the leader periodically, how are you doing in those areas? And then I'm going to create a forum or environment for you to ask me, how am I doing in those areas? And then we're going to sit down and talk about how the organization is doing in those four areas. It's part of our DNA now. It's part of our blood. It's part of our core, which means you might see some new practices. You might see some new development areas areas. You might see some new recruiting exercises. You might see the diversification of our organiza organization because we've done our research and we know that an empowered, diverse, fair, respectful workplace is going to take us beyond the next level. So it's not a numbers game. Give me two Asians, one Jew, three Catholics, one black person. No, 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 no. We are going for the best. But the best comes in a variety of shapes, mm -hmm. sizes. Talent can be found anywhere, not just Ivy, anywhere. And we are, we're taking off these glasses. Dan, I see you have glasses on, Ben glasses on. Sometimes you take off your glasses and you clean them. Mm -hmm. And you put it back on, like, whoa, <laughs> I can see. Woo! But during that entire time, when your glasses were on, when your glasses were dirty, you thought you saw everything clearly. And let's get to the smudges and the stuff on the glasses. You have liquid, maybe some food particles, maybe some dust. 
but then you also have fingerprints and the fingerprints represent my stuff. What am I doing to contribute to my blurred vision, my blind spots? So for an organizational leaders and for individuals, clean your glasses, clean them, then put them on. Because Aeneas Nen said, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. And I'm seeing this movie through the eyes of a 59-year-old Black American man who lives in the Northeast, who's gone to all white schools, all Black schools, who has his undergrad, bachelor's, his master's, his doctorate, who has been part of an all-Black team and an all-white team, an all-Black school and all-white school worked in major organizations, Fortune 500 organizations where in 14 years, 14 years, repeat 14 years, I had two black managers. Wow. Are you telling me there's not more talent out there? In 14 years, two people who were able to build the trust in the relationship where they got to know all of me, not just the suit, the tie, the performance, they got to know me, the man. I don't think I've had, when I was a financial advisor, I don't think I had any black managers at all. Um, I ended up developing a great relationship and good friendship with Mitch. But yeah, Mitch, with but coworkers, I coworkers mean, colleagues, yeah. I'm 45 years old and in my entire career, not one time. And you probably didn't even think about it. Not to this very moment. Yeah. I, I, I did. It's similar to when I was in corporate, and even now at times, I walk into a room with a bunch of leaders to talk about perhaps doing work with them, for them. I'm typically the only person who looks like me. If there's another, like, whoa, okay, he or she has made it this far. I, even now, 2021, when I work with my clients, I'm used to a handful, if best, at best, of, I'm not even gonna say people of color, I'm gonna say black people, because I'm beginning to see more Asian professional leaders, more Indian professional leaders, far more than black professional leaders. And if the leadership is not diverse, how can we make decisions for people we can't connect with, we can't relate to? That's like me making a policy on maternity leave. Enough <laughs> <laughs> with that one. Yes. So I'm, I'm making a ruling on how long women should stay out when they have the baby. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, not based on what my wife did, but my wife had the baby. Mm -hmm. I helped create it, but I didn't go through the physical challenges, ups and downs. Now I'm going to make a policy. That's why, and I sometimes get in trouble for this, guys. And if I get in trouble again, oh, well, again, I'm an advocate. Yep. When our forefathers 
put together that the Constitution, there wasn't a lot of racial, gender, ethnic diversity in the room. So we're making policies for our country and our country's voice is not in the room. Now we've held on to this constitution forever because it's a great document, but it's 2021. Have things changed just a little bit? A little bit. But might we want to consider making some amendments based on the changes that have occurred? Because all men are created equal. Men, that's it? That's it? Yeah. <laughs> Is that it? Just think of what's happening. See, we, we adhere to the Constitution so much. My constitutional rights, my constitutional right. If yeah. there were more thoughts and constructs in that Constitution around equity, around accountability, around diversity, we could exercise some new constitutional rights based on where we are as a country. Where if we see something happening, we don't have to get a number of votes to say the person's guilty <laughs> when we see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think ultimately too, it's gotta start under your roof. You know, you look at, I saw the best picture I've seen in a long time. I don't know if you've seen it recently. A principal took it. Um, it was a young black boy, a, little, a young white girl. They're kindergartners. And she had her head in his lap and she's sleeping. And it, and, and it, it just, it, it moves you. Look at it. You're like, you think about what's going on and you see that and you realize the innocence and they haven't been taught to hate yet. It's got to start, right? Between some of their values. Dan, Dan I, I certainly agree with that. Um, my good friend. Bill Brill. I met Bill 2010. He was living in Singapore, him and his family. And I was there as part of the Rutgers University Executive MBA program. I'm one of their faculty members. And Bill, engineer, left brain, very serious type. He saw what my class was going to be about, came to the class, introduced himself. He said, could I call you Professor Feelgood? You're one of those feel-good professors, huh? Soft skills. So he thought it was gonna be a, a waste of time. Over the course of the next two weeks, he began to realize that soft skills aren't really that soft. They're people skills. And people skills are challenging. And if you've ever been married, ever been in a relationship, ever had a friend, ever, been a human, you know that dealing with people is not soft. Well, it's 11 years later, 2021, Bill and his family have moved back to the states they live in Texas. And Bill and I talk about equity, diversity, inclusion a lot. Bill is a white guy, by the way. Last year, during everything that's happening, Bill called me and said, listen, have you ever heard of Emmanuel Acho, like yeah, he said he, he does this 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 online series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. I said yeah, I check it out. I said, well, the other day, the other night, me, my wife, and my two daughters, 
We watched it. We learned a lot. And we're going to watch it again. So as a family, you have four white individuals checking out this show called Uncomfortable Conversations with the Black Man. There's so much there. They're doing it as a family, as you said, Dan. And they're watching, taking in, perhaps having questions answered for them. The next time he called me like, I watched 13, I watched the movie 13, where now he's really getting into some deep civil unrest, racist stuff that he now is getting his advocate training because he's doing the work. And he is a phenomenal guy, phenomenal friend. And he had the epiphany, the same epiphany that I had last year. He said, I'm a good guy, but I haven't been doing enough. I feel like I'm doing more now. I'm speaking up. I'm educating my family. That right there. And, and they become who you be. That's grammatically incorrect, but they become who you be. So I can only imagine what his two daughters, one's in college, one's a teenager, what they're going to do in the future, because now he's building the foundation so that their cement won't be dry and they get stuck in doing the same thing every day, just being a good person. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. What would you say, because I know you work a lot with um, like large organizations, You've had a, you do have an incredible career. Um, coaching, training. What's yeah. the first thing you look at when you go to when you go to a business, you go to an organization? What's the first thing? The first week, first thing you walk through those doors, you, you go right at it. What, what's what's one of the key components? Well, before the pandemic, <laughs> before the pandemic, <laughs> when I would walk in, it's like once upon a time. Before I, I would just gaze, people watch to see. If I, I see any diversity in age, in race, in physical ability or disability, I would look to see if the access was there, ramps or just steps. I would look at the walls of the employees that have been rewarded for phenomenal performance. I would look at the board of director pictures. I would look at what's around me to see if I see me. Now, Dan, Vin, if I didn't see me, back in the day when I was an employee, I'm such a pioneer. I would say, I'm gonna get up there. I'm gonna make the wall, not this isn't for me and turn around and walk out. And some employees have that same feeling. You have your pioneers. Yeah. Yeah. And you have the folks who say, nah, it's not good for me here. I would look around. When the meeting began, I would look around to see for the diversity, as well as to see who gets a chance to speak or who exercises his or her right to speak. Because if one person is doing all the talking, mm. I would have to assess and see what that's about. That's a great point. I, I like I like leaders who are the last to speak. Simon Sinek wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last. I want to hear what my team has to say. 
I don't want to bias their opinion based on how I feel. And after I hear what they have to say, I might weigh in on it this time, maybe the next time. I, I listen for, and I can't tell, but I listen for the amount of authenticity, the amount of vulnerability. I listen to see if they just give me facts or if they give me some stories. Because guys, I believe that, and my good friend, Doug Stevenson likes to say, facts fade, stories stick. So I'm gonna ask questions to create scenarios. I think they call them behavioral-based interviews. Well, that's the kind of questions I'm going to ask. Tell me about a time when, as a leadership team, when your women, when your people of color, when you underrepresented group members have shared with you their discomfort. Tell me about some of the things you've done. Take me through a glory story and walk me through a gory story. And what did you learn from each? If I hear radio silence and crickets, <laughs> I'm thinking they're shy. <laughs> I, I look to feel, to see an empowered, respectful workplace. Now, here's a challenge and I've learned in organizations. You may see the diversity, but it may not mean that diversity is being fully utilized and empowered. I like to say that's called, is what's in your window in your store? You have it, it looks good, but when you go inside, yeah. is it there or is it an empowering, important, results-focused, deal-making positions? game-changing positions. And the unfortunate thing is, and I was a member of this club, got to keep my job, got to keep my job, got to keep my job, head down. And then when I got home, whoo, take off my costume, another day of trick-or-treating, gosh, oh, let me tell you what that was like. That sounds horrible. In the morning, put on a costume, time to go to work and trick-or-treat again. Mm. It's one of the main reasons why I studied authenticity for my dissertation. And through my research, I, I learned that authenticity is not a matter of either or. You're either authentic or inauthentic. It's a matter of more or less. I'm more authentic or less authentic, degrees of authenticity. I think there was a, a study, Deloitte 2013, and their study, determined that of the people they interviewed, over, I think it was 65%, I thought it should be higher than that, but over 65% of the people of color, underrepresented groups who shared what it was like for them, over 65% said they cover, they hide parts of who they are when they come to work. Can you imagine leaving part of you at home? I'm getting paid 100% and you're only getting 70% of me. You got to lose a big portion of yourself over time too, having to do that. 
And you begin to go along to get along, fake it till you make it. Being an advocate is nowhere in your stratosphere, nor being an ally. And, and I say that because back in the 90s, when I was doing diversity work and going into organizations as part of a, a diversity uh, consulting firm, I hadn't started my own organization yet. I was running into problem after problem after problem, and it led me to write an article that was published in a diversity magazine. And the article was called Malcolm, Martin, or Tom, The Three Faces of a Black Male Diversity Consultant. In it, I wrote, I showed up as the same guy every time, but depending on who was in the room, they saw me as either Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, or Uncle Tom. Oh, I was the same guy. But through their life experiences, they felt my push, because you were going to be pushed as Malcolm X, any means necessary. They felt my, let's talk, let's meet, as Martin Luther King Jr. Turn the cheek, turn the other cheek. Can't we all get along? And they felt my, well, sometimes we have to realize that the culture is not going to change as quickly as we would like for it to change. That's Uncle Tom going along to get along. No, that, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I just, we, we said this last time, but every time we talk, I just looked at the clock. We're going on almost an hour already. Yeah. Oh, snap. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I know. Every time I know. we chat. Um, to wrap things up, if you don't mind, um, can you tell... Anyone that's interested in getting in touch with you, how they go about doing that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Time has flown by. It's simple. Social media, drjamesmithjr.com. That's the website. Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Dr. James Smith Jr. And you can, re you can reach, reach us there. And again, Yes, diversity, equity, inclusion is part of the areas we specialize in. And I think Ben, when he read the bio, personal power, presentation skills, leadership. But, but the crux is mindset. What you focus on grows, thoughts become things. And we work with you to shift your mindset. And we work on you to make sure you get started down that path. Because a lot of people make their start become their stop. So they never get started. It's their stop. Because they're thinking about, meeting about. Vin, Dan, if your house was on fire right now, would you call a meeting, a Zoom meeting, and talk about our house <laughs> on fire? <laughs> no. And if other people didn't make the meeting, would you call another meeting to make sure everyone's <laughs> in the room to talk about a house being on fire? <laughs> no. You would fix it. You would get out. You would put the fire out. Absolutely. And organizations don't realize that their house is on fire no. if they don't have a diverse group of empowered, responsible, hungry people on the team. You might not smell the smoke. Just like Dan, if you had dirty glasses, one of your team members might not say, man, his glasses are dirty. 
what they're gonna say is, dude got 30 glasses. <laughs> they're not gonna say, Dan, yo, dude, bro, they clean those glasses. <laughs> that's right. That's they're so just cool. gonna talk about you. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, did you have anything you wanted to jump in with? No, I, I, I mean, again, this, this is when a lot quicker than I thought it would. Yeah, Roddy, can you jump on camera real quick? Because you were a big part of this too. We want to say thank you. If you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. But I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, that's true. We can always call you and say thank well, you. While we're waiting for Rodney, um, Dr. Smith, if there's one thing I want you to say to the people that are going to be watching this and listening in live, one takeaway that I want you to walk, want them to walk away with, what would you say to them? That's easy. That's easy. Um, we all have privileges, whether it's athletic, education, physical, but when it comes to race, that privilege, if you're part of the perceived majority, that's seemingly based on my years of living, that's the biggest privilege. I would ask people who have white privilege to use that privilege to help create a space where other people feel privileged. And for those who say, I don't have any privilege, I had to work hard. I know. You were raised in poverty, I know. But you have an inherent privilege called white privilege where you never think about or seldom think about your race. You turn on the TV, you know you're gonna see someone who looks like you. You go to the movie theater or turn on Netflix, you know whatever you watch, at some point you'll see someone who looks like you. You know if you get in a plane to fly somewhere, undoubtedly whoever's flying that plane is gonna look like you. You know when you're in a court of law, that judge in all likelihood the chances are great that he or she will look like you. You know, when you get pulled over, you're not gonna ask right away to get out the car or you're not gonna be asked, how'd you get this car? It's expensive. Wow, you're driving this, this yours? You're so unconscious that we don't think about it. Mm. Don't please don't get defensive. Seek to understand. Because all those examples I just gave you, I walk in the room thinking about my race. I get pulled over. <sighs> I know at some point, because it's happened over and over again, I go into a store, somebody might follow me and pretend not to be following me. I know if I watch a movie, that's a black movie, they call it a black movie. <laughs> We have work to do, acknowledge the privilege and acknowledge the opportunity you have to fix, to help fix what's wrong. Not the few bad apples, let's fix that tree. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. And Rodney, thank you for, uh, for all the work you did. And you know, the entire process. I have to tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure with the both of you. Absolutely. Um, 
I've really enjoyed our time talking and I look forward to our subsequent conversations in the near future. Um, did you guys, did you want to? Yeah, no, that was it. All right, then we're going on almost an hour um, on the dots. We want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, this will be available on our YouTube and our podcast and just about every other social media platform that we're on. So thank you very much again, Dr. Smith. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And we look forward to seeing you guys again soon. Hey, virtual chest bump. Ooh. <laughs> right back at you. Have a great day, guys. Bye, Take guys. Care. Great seeing you again.